Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles, open them up to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You'll notice the beginning of this says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, it's pretty important for us to go back and find out what the therefore is there for. So if, we go, if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, um, you'll notice that the last part of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, the Apostle Paul is actually speaking to the Corinthians about the individuals who were under Judaism and under the law were individuals who continued to carry the veil over their face. The veil over their face was a reference to Moses. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he actually stood in the presence of God, he came down showing Shekinah glory. When he showed Shekinah glory, um, people he knew would have elevated him to a higher status. So when Moses came down off of Mount Sinai, he covered his face so that the people could not see the radiant glow, the Shekinah glory that he had absorbed while he was in God's presence to hide it from other people. And the, the um, contrast between these two pre-Jesus testimonies and the post-Jesus testimonies are very obvious contrasts to one another. In the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory was hidden by Moses to prevent people from knowing what he had been through. Under the New Testament, we are to not keep our faces hidden so that people may know what it is that we're doing. Does this make sense? You hear me? So the last part of the scripture talks about the veil that laid over the face of Moses to hide the glory. Then it speaks of the glory that surpassed that glory, the glory that was a greater glory, which was the glory of Jesus Christ. And it says that we as citizens of the kingdom, we now move on from glory to glory. In other words, what are we doing as individuals if we're just walking around being obedient? And this is a great thing. You're creating glorious circumstances for people. Jesus Christ is glorified through every action that he motivates in an individual's life. We're not trying to hide that we've been in the presence of Jesus. We're trying to show everybody in the world that we've been in the presence of Jesus. Because how else are people going to know the difference? This is our ministry. This is our ministry. Our ministry is to glorify God. And he will continue to use us and move us from glory to glory. Every day, we have pages and chapters that close in our lives. Those pages and chapters don't disappear. They are just considered a historical part of our life. The next day is the next page. There's no connection between your failures the day before. There's no connection between the choices you made the day before and and the choices that you make today. There's no connection between those. Grace provides us mercy that's brand new every morning. Amen? It provides it for us. 
What's our ministry? A lot of people would argue this, but I would say that it's arguable. The only reason you were created was to glorify God. I mean, why else would you? Why else would a creator create mankind? If it wasn't something that he saw as being good. If it wasn't something that was personable and personal. But this is our ministry. It's to show people Jesus. And we live in a society today that has a lot of difficulty doing that. I'm not talking about lifestyle evangelism. That's important. Lifestyle evangelism is the manifestation of the Christian life in you as you continue to make your choices. Your choices are the choices that Jesus would make. But in the ministry we've been called to, it's a ministry where we're supposed to not only tell the world about, or show the world who Jesus is, but also tell them who he is. We're not trying to hide the glory. We're trying to shine the glory. And this also means that although our circumstances potentially could turn out very much alike, the lives that we're living are entirely different lives. What did the Israelites do when they heard God speak? They trembled. They fell to the ground. They hid their faces. What do you do when you hear God speak? You stand up. You raise your chin. You put your shoes on. Right? God's not different. We're at a different point in the story. The God who was glorified through the law was absolutely glorified through the law. That same God is glorified even more so through the fulfillment of that law in the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This story that we're supposed to tell makes life difficult if you do it right. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm going to ask you a personal question. You ready? When's the last time you've been persecuted for Jesus? And if you can say, wow, it's been a while. Why? I mean, pretty much all you have to do, I can go on Facebook in less than 30 seconds, I can get somebody mad at me just by saying one word. It's just a matter of finding the right site, the right page. Because all you got to do is drop the name Jesus and back out and watch the fireworks start. I can't tell people I'm a preacher without setting them off. So if Jesus is so sensitive to society that we really can't show him or talk about him without being persecuted in some form or fashion, but we're not being persecuted in some form or fashion, where does the link break? Because I'll say again, the Bible, and I can tell you in the Greek, it means the exact same thing. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, not may, 
not might, not can, not could, will be persecuted. Question is, is his glory glory worth your persecution? That's the question. I believe that everybody in this building right now would say, if I ask that question to you, everybody in this building would go, absolutely, his glory is worth my persecution. You absolutely better believe it. If we're glorified through our being persecuted, but we're not being persecuted, I go back to the same question. Why are we not being persecuted? If all you got to do is say the name of Jesus to rile people up, and your presence doesn't rile people up, whose name are you not saying? Whose story are you not telling? Whose moral fortitude are you not putting out front? How many times are we not standing up and telling the truth? Because we're afraid how the business we work for may fire us. We're afraid that the circles we run in may no longer accept us. People create laws to suppress your Christianity. That in and of itself is unconstitutional. I pay a teacher's salary, but if that teacher goes in and teaches something about creation, they can be in serious trouble if they do it on school time. I'm not saying the teachers should be throwing their jobs away. I like them being there as educators. I like them more being there eight hours a day teaching those kids as they come into their class than I do them being pugnacious and jumping up and shouting something about Jesus going to damn all homosexuals to hell for an eternity and then you've plugged them out. So I'm not saying you don't just talk about Jesus and use no wisdom, but how many times a day does the Lord provide us opportunity that does not, it doesn't get in the way of any of our responsibilities, but we still choose not to do it. Drop the name every, drop Jesus' name every time that you get the opportunity and strap yourself in because you're about to go for a ride. And believe me, the ride's kind of like the boss for me. When my knees are jammed in the back of the seat in front of you and every vibration and turn that you make just pushes them harder and harder. Turns out to be usually that kind of a ride. So this is where we pick this up. The Apostle Paul now talks about the fact that we as Christians are being, we're moving from glory to glory in our, through our relationship with Christ in contrast to the individuals who are involved with Judaism. Now in, in verse one of uh, chapter, I'm sorry, verse one of chapter four, my electronic Bible hates me. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, I want you to think about this. If I look at every one of you, and I am attentive because I know that what I say is either going to glorify God and it's also going to lead to you glorifying God or what I'm going to say is not going to glorify God and it's also going to lead you to not glorify God. You got me so far? I play a pretty vital role in that link, don't I? 
So do you. Because once I glorify God in your life, then what's your responsibility? To glorify God in someone else's. See how this works? We renounce the things hidden because of shame. You know what those things are? I had somebody ask me one time. I had a teenager come up to me one time. And they said, it doesn't say specifically. It just says, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. I said, well, it tells you what those things are right there. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, everything that you desire to hide to do. Oh. We all had the place. We'd sneak dad's Chesterfield Kings, and we'd all sneak out. We had our little place that we liked to go, and we snuck dad cigarettes. But the fact that I, was, that I had to sneak and the fact that I had to hide meant what? It was shameful. It was the wrong thing to do. Nobody had to come along and say that was the wrong thing to do. My actions proved it was the wrong thing to do. Because if I believed in my heart that it was not the wrong thing to do, then I would have did it right in front of my dad. Right? Commending ourselves to everyone's, to everyone's conscience. But first, he says, there's a requirement to this. Without walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. In other words, you don't manipulate circumstances. That's not what our responsibility is. God gave us the spirit not to manipulate people, but to glorify him. Not, not so that I could get my way, but so that he could get his way. Okay? Look at the world today. What they have to do in order for them to bring to terms the culture of their lifestyle with God and who he is. They have to rip the Bible to shreds. They have to find books that are obscure, that have no place in the canon at all, and say, these books need to be accepted. You do me a favor. I want you to go home, make yourself a nice glass of iced tea. That iced tea, if you like sugar in it, it basically is made of three components. Tea leaves, water, and sugar. Then I want you to close your eyes, walk to your pantry, stick your hand in, and grab any seasoning that you want. Now, don't look at it. I mean, just feel around, grab one, take it over to your jug of tea, and just dump the whole container in it, mix it up. And tell me if you can change one thing in your sweet tea with those three components without changing the, com without changing the sweet tea as a whole. Why do you think they're trying to get the book of Enoch with a little bit of authority. People say, well, the Old Testament quotes the book of, en of Enoch. Jesus quoted the book of Enoch. He did. Jesus quote anything that's making his point. There's the book of Timothy. The book of Titus. Not that it was written to them, but that they wrote themselves. I think it was uh, the book of Judas that says that Jesus married Mary Magdalene and had a baby. Let's accept that one into the canon. What does that do to the theological structure of the Bible? Do we really not know what's going on? 
the adulterating of the word of God. And here's the deal. I had somebody, I was watching a video the other day, and this guy, I watched him for quite a while. This is the first time. This guy's throwing a fit over the accuracy of scripture. And I watched about five seconds of it, and in my head, God goes, this guy really don't think that I know what's going on. <laughs> this guy really thinks that I don't have the ability to preserve my word as you, as, as you my church, need it. 66 books in the Bible that you hold. One denomination has accepted more, but they were not canonized books. 66. How many? You know how many books were canonized? 380? I think it was around 354, somewhere around there, AD. You know how many books in the Bible were canonized in 354 AD? 66. Once the canon happened, do you know how many Bibles were added? None. You know, how many, you know how many have been taken away? None. In every desire to try to translate them differently and to make them less accurate, they remove from the equation that God is the one in control. That he has the ability to speak through the hearts of people even using a lost person. I've seen it happen many times in my lifetime. One of my brothers got saved because of a lost person. Lost person, I can't remember what the guy said to him. The guy said one thing to him. That guy was lost as a goose in a snowstorm. But whatever he said, God sure used it. And he got saved. But we will get a lot more accomplished as individuals if we're intentional than we will if we're accidental. Because we've grown to become a people who are satisfied with our accidental successes instead of intentional successes. When's the last time you set a goal? And was it man sized or God sized? When's the last time you heard a story of a church that did something way bigger than any human population's capable of accomplishing? You see, all of this has to do with that because that string of glory that I was talking about, if it attaches to one individual, it attaches to everyone who's around it. And if it attaches to everyone around it, and, and Kevin, he's the one who did the math for me one night. I'd always heard this. I've always repeated it. Never had a calculator that could run it out that far. I said it one night in a sermon. I said, uh, you could take one grain of rice and put it on the first checkerboard square and double that grain of rice every square. So first square to have one, second square two, third square four, fourth square eight, next square 16, next square 32. By the time you get to the end of that checkerboard, you will have enough rice to bury the entire state of Missouri under five feet of rice. By the time you get to the end of that checkerboard. I said that in a sermon one night. Kevin pulls his calculator out. <laughs> and he said that is absolutely accurate. How many squares on a checkerboard? I think it's 60, ain't it? 64? Do it sometime on paper because your calculator won't. 
So here's the idea. 20 people in this church today. And something that the Holy Spirit says to you during this service glorifies him. You hold on to that something that he said to you through the message or through a Sunday school class, whatever he said to you, you hold on to that and you take it out that door and you apply it to your life. 20 people do that. It's not all the exact same truth. Amen. Holy Spirit speaks to us all different based on the path that we're on and the, the point in time in our lives. He never gives us more than we can handle. But if 20 people walk out with Jesus being glorified in their life, those 20 people walk out and glorify Jesus in 20 more people's lives. How many is that? And then if those 40 people go out and they glorify Jesus in other people's lives, how many is that? You've just more than breached in two glorifying sessions. You just more than breached the entire attendance of this church. On our best day. The world's full of sleepers. And by that I mean people who walk through the world and have no idea, have no idea the circumstances the people around them are encountering. Have zero thought or compassion about their circumstances committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of god means to do everything that we can to do what is right for the person in the eyes of god does it help a homosexual not to tell them that homosexuality is sin doesn't help them does it help them to say that god tell them that god hates them doesn't help me either. If I'm going to approach somebody who's in that type of an active lifestyle, then before I even open my mouth, I'm going to commend myself to that person's conscience. Because that way I am more careful about not saying something that's going to make me offensive. Walk away from the conversation, the gospel offends you, I can accept that. Walk away from a conversation and I offend you, I can't accept that. So it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter. This is why the Apostle Paul told Timothy to be instant in season and out of season because our opportunities to glorify God don't just happen on the good days. I would even go so far as to say our opportunity to glorify God happens more so on the bad days. So we're individuals who are supposed to be looking out for each other while being faithful and understanding as much as we can about how all of this works together. Because the more I thought of it, I'm going to talk about Kevin for a minute. Sorry, Miss Donna. The reason that Kevin was so impactful was because he wove himself intentionally into the lives of other people. Here's what I mean by that. Some people in this church like puns more than others. Some people don't speak them. Some people like to laugh at them. And some people like to take them way too far. By too far, I mean just taking them, they'll go on forever. It turns into dead joke city. The individuals who feed on that, that received that weaving, that threading, he'd tag you on Facebook. 
because he'd do it on purpose. He'd throw a pun out just to get people to start throwing puns. And who was the king of puns? Kevin was the king of puns. It didn't matter if it was through his abilities, which he had many of. He said for years that cognitively he knew that he was declining. And if you knew this guy back when he was actually working uh, as a computer programmer, as a as a program programmer, whatever he was doing, but it was stuff. And it was for big companies and companies that were running really high, sophisticated software, smart as a whip. And for us to have him as a president for a time, and for him to do the things that he's done at this, and he does those, he did those things to the point that really very few people who were around him over the last ten years, very few people didn't know who he was, or very few people didn't know even his personality, how fun-loving he was, how joking he was. I laugh all the time. Donna knows this, but I laugh all the time because he just loved to wind her up. <laughs> wind her up she'd leave the the hospital room and he'd just he'd, he'd sit in his bed and cackle <laughs> wind her up sit in the bed and cackle i look at him think he goes oh no don't he said i haven't forgotten she's mama bear <laughs> i said well you know she's coming back right <laughs> but that just a fun loving guy that interwovenness that interwovenness is what created the testimony please i know we're late but bear with me for a few minutes I went and talked to somebody who hadn't been to church in quite a while. He's got some health problems themselves. Got to meet with him for about an hour the other day. We got to talk to him about Kevin. And and this guy, who's had some health problems himself throughout his life, he said, you know, every time that I ended up having a problem in life, I think of Kevin. And he said, it never mattered how big my problems were. If I remembered Kevin, my problems were never as big as I thought they were. The connection was where the manifestation of that relationship happened. That's where we as believers have the ability to duplicate that exact same thing and to do it very intentionally to greet people when you see them to try not to be so busy that you walk by them without making eye contact because the truth is you know there's a there's a lot of steps and processes to go through when we get here in the mornings it's all about steps and processes and getting ourselves to the point that we can actually do the stuff that's important but if that's the way that we live life then we pass up the opportunities and the preparation because Jesus isn't just working in this in this worship service. He isn't just working in Sunday school. He's working in every individual's lives. And when we come to the understanding that he's working in individuals' lives on that level, then we can become a very proactive part of that individual's growth in their life in Christ. A little bit further down, I didn't make it. He talks about as, a, as Christians suffering all the consequences of Christianity but none of those consequences destroy us. They can't. Because God's the one who gets to determine. For those of us who are his, he gets to determine whether the number of our days is acceptable or not. 
And although I wouldn't go jump off any cliffs or run out in front of any Mack trucks, I can promise you one thing. You won't die until God's done with you. And I've talked many times about when we leave this place, what kind of a legacy do we live? What kind of a legacy do we leave behind when we're gone? What are our kids going to remember about us? What are our friends going to remember about us? What's our church going to remember about us? What's our community going to remember about us when we're gone? Because I said a week ago or two weeks ago, how long do you think it's going to take for people to forget you? How far back in your genealogy can you remember? How well did you know your great-grandpa? Two generations, gone. Might have some knickknacks laying around that they owned, right? You really know anything about who they were by knickknacks? The stuff we do in Christ, it lives longer than the last breath. Kevin touched my life. I'm living as the recipient of the beneficiary of who Kevin Dobbins was for the last, I don't know, 15 years, 16 years, maybe more, 17. How long did you guys come here? I guess it's been at least 15. What well, says something about Kevin? Because it sure seems like it's been that long. <laughs> Kevin's a great guy. I mean, and and the impact that he has on individuals' lives, he's gone. And even though two generations from now, people may not be able to speak his name, the things that Jesus glorified me with through him are being instilled in my kids and in my grandkids. And the truth is, it's not important to me that my name's remembered. That's not the goal. The goal is not to leave a legacy. Even though, by definition, I guess that's what it is. It's us taking advantage of the opportunity to glorify Christ in other people's lives, that he may glorify himself through them in other people's lives. When we see the manifestation of the gift of God that's laid out that simply, and we just understand that we're learning through these, this relationship, we're learning how to best accomplish this. And we're horrible at it sometimes. And as horrible as we are, we get up because we know that his mercy is new every morning. We accept the grace. We stand up. He dusts us off, faces us in the right direction. We do the best we can to stay on our feet for as long as we can with the understanding that guess what? Eventually, somewhere along the way, you're going to fall flat on your face again. And his mercy and his grace will be new every morning. And he'll pick you up. He'll dust you off. He'll point you in the right direction. And then he'll provide you with people around you who will assist you. That's what a church is supposed to be. You know what a church is in the, 20, in the 21st century? You know what a church is? It's a place where people go to have church. How many connections happen throughout the week about the church meeting? In most churches. How many times how many times do you suppose people hear from each other over the term of a month if it's just church? Highland used to have one of those pastors. He wasn't a pastor, they called him a preacher. You know there's a difference between a preacher and a pastor, right? 
a pastor is someone who wants to be involved in people's lives, who wants to actually be there for people. A preacher is what Highland had for a long time. It's a person who come in here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, stepped in that pulpit, preached the sermon, the sermon was over, walked out the door, you can see him again until the next service. God never called me to be a preacher. I don't believe that he really, I think there's a fine line between a preacher and an evangelist. Somebody should be traveling to do that. Because you know what a church is? It's family. We hurt each other, but we'll never hate each other. We'll smile. When we smile at each other, we'll celebrate. When celebrations are necessary, we'll cry. When family members mourn. When one of us hurts, all of us hurt. If we want to see what's best for everybody and everything, then we just have to be people that we're mindful of every decision that we make and commending ourselves to every person's conscience is where we give people longevity in this relationship. Because sometimes they just need a hug. Sometimes they just need to be prayed with. Sometimes they just need to be checked on. A church, they'll let you leave. And if you don't show up, they won't check on you. 21st century church, they're going to check on you. And I've had several people say, there are people that are amazed that you send a message on Monday. And I'm like, I want to stand up here and take glory and credit for all of the extra credit that goes towards that. But I can't. You know why? Because that's what a church is supposed to be. I notice when you're missing. You didn't tell me why you were missing. So it makes me wonder if you're sick. The person I went and seen was Bob. I told Bob, I said, I actually said this to Diana, but I told Bob the other day, I said, don't ever return your messages, Bob. I said, I looked at Diana the other day and said, I think Tim would call me if Bob died. And we laughed because it was funny. smallest things we can do if we do them intentionally that you have no idea how far God will take them think you don't have opportunity I'm praying that you just see every natural opportunity around you and you'll be absolutely amazed at how many chances of glorifying Jesus you get in any day if you're here today you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior spirit moves you and you i know that may confuse you uh if i say the spirit moves you um, it won't if he moves you you'll know exactly what i'm talking about don't come up here because you want to don't come up here because you think the preacher asked you to you come up here only if the spirit moves you and you will know who he is and you will know he's doing it if you do come up here i can't save you but i will take whatever time necessary to make sure that you know the one who can and you know him as thoroughly as you can if you're here and you're a believer pay attention life's happening around us and our fallen nature will draw our gaze to the negatives every time but did you know that even jesus glorifies himself in the negative 
good, bad, or indifferent, God can glorify himself in it. it. Has everything in the world to do with how we as his people accept the absolute truth, truthfulness of his word. That's why Jesus' yoke was light and his burden was easy. So whatever your decision may be, if the Holy Spirit leads you, can ask no more of you than for you to be obedient. Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, He came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask Him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well.
Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Barron. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.